0: franchising in general combines done for you and done with you versus a lot of courses combine do it yourself and maybe done with you right that's why the price point's lower but the value add is also a little bit different so as you evaluate different things you're looking at whether it's hey you want to start your own digital marketing company and let me buy a course for that that's kind of how you should be evaluating value and, and kind of what's given <music>
1: Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mitko Karshavski, and welcome to episode 146 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by my friend Neil Parekh, the founder of Made This a cleaning franchise that helps residential homeowners and short-term rental hosts like Airbnb and VRBO with their cleanings. Neil is actually a past guest of this podcast and was originally featured in episode 10 of this show almost exactly three years ago. But today, Neil is back on the podcast to talk about the evolution of Made This Into a Franchise and why he decided to make that switch. We discussed why a local remote business can be a great lifestyle business, how to get involved in a made this franchise, if it sounds like something you might be interested in. And we also shared ideas for other industries where a local remote business could be successful. So definitely listen to this whole podcast all the way through because uh, we talked about some really interesting ideas and industries where you can do that. But before we jump into the interview, make sure that you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Remote Insider, if you haven't done so already. Every Monday morning, I send out a brief but informative email with all the top news from the digital, n- digital nomad world so you never get left out. From upcoming conferences and new nomad visas to technology breakthroughs and the newest developments in remote work, it's the easiest ways to is the easiest way to become a remote insider. It's completely free and you can sign up at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider. By the way, this is something that uh, a lot of people have been saying is actually one of the best things that I uh, create content wise. Uh, So if you want to go and check that out, uh, head on over to that link, you definitely don't want to miss it. Finally, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it, it's that easy. I read every review and I love to see what you guys think about this podcast. Uh, And I will also share your review here on the show. So make sure uh, that you head on over to that link and leave a review. One final thing I just want to mention before we jump into the interview is to say thank you to everyone who left a review over on Spotify, which recently launched their own native platform for reviews. And we already have a bunch of five-star reviews over there. So thank you so much to everyone who left a review over there. And if you haven't done so already, uh, even if you've left a review in the past, head on over to Spotify and leave a review on there as well. It takes two seconds. It's super easy to do, but it would hugely help us uh, rank in on Spotify and attract new listeners. So thank you uh, so much for all of you guys that did that. And without further ado, let's jump into this awesome interview with Neil Parekh. All right, Neil, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? It's been a, uh, it's been a little while. Been a while, dude. Uh, when was the last time we first talked on this show? So this is be- before we hit record, I actually looked this up because I was curious. You were episode 10 so interestingly, we're now a hundred and you're going to be like 146, seven, something like that. It was almost three years since we did the episode, June 24th of 2019. So uh, it's funny. I, I didn't remember exactly
0: that. where we were too. Cause I was like at a new coworking space. I was trying to figure out like a quiet place to record and like, you know, you just randomly hit me up. So it's it funny how clearly I remember that that conversation.
1: Yeah, man, and it was funny because, like, obviously, I know I started this podcast in 2019, but I didn't, it's been three years, which is kind of crazy, right? Like, you don't, like, you know that it's been three years, but you don't really think about the fact that it's been three years. Like, time kind of sounds different. Do you know what I mean? Like, does that make sense, or am I just being weird?
0: No, especially in these last three years, man. It's been, like, a warp. So, it's, especially one of those is when you're grinding on it consistently like this, and you've been putting out ton of content every single week. I'm sure time gets extra warped. So I hear you.
1: Yeah. Well, this is actually a really interesting place to start because when we talked last, it was like, you know, the summer of 2019, obviously 2020 uh, was a big event, not just for business. I'm sure uh, you kind of like with Made This being focused on uh, Airbnbs. Obviously, the tourism sector was uh, affected Mm -hmm. quite a bit uh, because of COVID, but also, the remote world just blew up, right? Like we talked a year before the remote work world blew up. So tell me a little bit about, you know, catching up. Obviously people can go listen to that first episode, episode 10, uh, to hear more about the made this story, but tell me a little bit about what happened for you, uh, with the business during COVID. Like how did that affect you guys? And, and what, what sort of things did you have to do to, uh, to keep the business going?
0: yeah absolutely so uh for anyone listening who doesn't want to jump over to episode 10 i'll give a quick background on who i am what made this is in general so uh, my name is neil preck i run a company called made this and now made this franchise Uh, made this is a local cleaning company which can be run fully remotely focusing on residential cleaning as well as airbnb cleanings we're actually the first and only vacation rental cleaning franchise that exists a couple years ago i decided to franchise the model and um offer blueprint pretty much to people who pretty much want to copy what i did with having a completely remote local business and travel the world i uh, quit my job in private equity in 2015 and was on the road for about five plus years until COVID happened while scaling made this um yeah and like uh, what i love so much about the local spectrum is that the competition is a lot less right you're competing if you're a lot of people trying to go remote are doing like digital marketing e-commerce drop shipping and you're kind of competing against the whole world and i guess the secret that i found was that hey you might as well compete against local markets where most people don't know what they're doing and you still can run it completely remotely so that's a lot of the model that we're pitching now with made this franchise um so i the franchising launched in 2020 um which is a a great time to launch a franchise right in the middle of covid where (laughs) travel industry stopped everyone's freaking out but that's when we launched the franchise business so um what happened in in 2019 and I'm, i'm Fun sharing the numbers. I think we were around like 1.9 to 2 million in 2019. Most of that was Airbnb revenue, uh, meaning lots of the Airbnb turnovers, yeah. vacation rental turnovers. Of course, when 2020 happened and like the world froze, travel was the first thing to go. Right, so all of that Airbnb revenue almost overnight disappeared, and that's just because people who had bookings with us they're like, "Hey, we don't have reservations anymore. Like, there's nothing we can do."
1: Right. Uh,
0: luckily, a lot of our focus was on residential. Um, as well as vacation rental. So I'd say like before, maybe we were doing 75% Airbnb and like 25% residential. That flipped and it's still flipped where we're now we're doing mostly residential. So a lot of weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. Um, and to be honest, we just got super scrappy in the business. We said, hey, where's the demand right now? Looks like a lot of people are moving out of LA and moving to the woods. Everyone needs move out cleanings. Let's go target that niche, right? So we got like just crazy scrappy of, of, trying to find business where the demand actually was happening. Um, And luckily it's a lean business model, right? The team's completely remote. Uh, Cleaners go straight from their home to the job site. There's no cars, there's no office spaces. So as we scaled down revenue rapidly because of COVID, luckily the cost went down alongside it, not completely, but as well. Um, So, you know, still maintained profitability uh, and just kind of weathered the storm, man. So that was a a beast. And I felt like COVID remnants lasted through 2021 in the U S with like the whole labor crisis and the stimulus and like, yeah, yeah. it gotten a lot much better now, but, uh, yeah, crazy two years.
1: So why did you, I mean, we obviously talked about in the, in the last episode, you know, we talked about exactly what you mentioned there at the beginning about the benefits of running a local business remotely, right? There's so many of these business models that, exist in a sort of antiquated way. Right. And I was in the HVAC industry in the past. So like, I, I know what you're talking about. Right? Industry. Like, there's so much yeah. opportunity. It's a great industry, lots of money. Uh, you know, if, if you're, if your air conditioning breaks, you're going to pay to fix it. Right. So it's yep. this great business where it's just waiting for somebody to come in and kind of modernize it. Um, but why did you, you know, so, so what I was saying is like, you talked about the benefits of that. And I think that that's super, super smart to bring the, what we know from the remote online world into that, but why decide to take this extra step of then franchising, right? Because I remember some of my first entrepreneurial mentors were actually franchisee owners, you know, uh, specifically, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, was good friends with somebody who owned a bunch of McDonald's franchises. So it almost seems like this older way of building wealth. Why did you decide to take made this in that direction? Like why franchise?
0: Yep. So um, two reasons, one I thought originally and one I'm kind of finding out in hindsight. The first reason was I wanted to expand, uh, but I didn't want to manage 500 cleaners. Flat out, like that, that's, that's the difficult part about the business. And I realized the best service for the end customer is if someone's local. There's lots of companies try to do like the Uber of cleaning or expand nationally and the quality mm-hmm. suffers. And when you're dealing with Airbnbs and reviews and even residential homes, like you just need really good quality to have high customer retention. So I realized the best service for the customer would be if someone's localized. I did not want to self-expand that way. I felt we could get much faster by just letting people piggyback off of what we're doing and providing support to them. So that was it, it was one method of expansion amongst others I was considering, and I decided to go forward with this one. Uh, the second reason I figured out kind of in hindsight is just as like cleaning and HVAC is an old-school industry, so is franchising, right? Super mm-hmm. old-school industry, And I love the idea of being like the tech new kid in the the super old school industry, right? So like we've been called the franchise for millennials. I'm like, we're not even doing anything that different. It's just, we're we're just being a little bit more current. And there's a big segment of the population who is looking for franchising specifically. It's a little bit safer. Many people have a corporate job and they're scared to transition straight to entrepreneurship. They want to follow an existing blueprint. They're looking for specifically franchising. And if all of a sudden you're like the new kid on the block with a new tech way of doing it in the super old school industry, you could kind of revolutionize what's happening there. So it's kind of double dipping in that same thesis. of Let me go into an old school industry, provide new age technology and just dominate the competition. That's, that was the thesis and kind of what I'm learning now. But I, I agree with you, Meethko. like franchising sounds like, dude, that's what our parents did. Like that's that's just a super old school way of doing stuff.
1: Yeah. But I love it because, you know, like you said, it's everyone is going to this, like, seemingly gold rush of, of super tech native stuff. But if you just take like one step back or you turn around and you're like, okay, well, let me take what I know from this very tech native digital world and then just turn it around to an industry where that hasn't happened yet. You can just destroy the competition.
0: Yeah. And I think what a lot of people in the nomad world haven't really understood is you don't need to be local anymore to run a local business. Um, you don't mm. like it, it's just things have changed so rapidly. Slack exists, online um, phone systems exist, people are used to apps, and it's happened kind of rapidly. Um, so a lot of older cleaning companies just haven't caught up and they're run by people who are old school. So yeah, it, it's something that's relatively new and hasn't really hit the local world, but it absolutely can be done remotely with the right business model.
1: So I'm assuming that from your vantage point, there's likely other industries that are kind of like primed to have done to them what you've done with made this, right? So Mm -hmm. just, can you kind of like, like any other industries that you think would be like really prime for this sort of business model?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And, um, I'll talk about kind of on a spectrum and I'm going to talk about the local Mm -hmm. industry because that's what I know. Yeah. So if you think about like the spectrum of what makes what, what I call remote local business, let's talk about one end where. It doesn't work. Let's say you are a personal trainer. You you can't have a remote business and be a personal trainer, a gym owner, or something with a big storefront. It's very tough to be fully remote from the beginning with that type of model. On the other end, there is, let's say, a McDonald's owner. You don't think that's remote, but I guarantee you the person who owns the McDonald's, he's not working at the McDonald's. It's just a pure investment play. So that's another local business, which as an investor, you can invest in, open up the McDonald's and it's, it's a cash cow, right? So those are the two far ends of the spectrum in between would be kind of where you want to play. And the characteristics would be any type of service, which the technician dispatches from their home straight to the job site. Typically this means home services is right for this Mm -hmm. window cleaning. Um, Carpet cleaning, painting, HVAC in some capacities where you don't need a crazy amount of overhead and the actual workers just go to the job site. There's a ton of these mobile car washing um you know i know I know people who are just in a variety of different industries. I'd say the easiest is home services because clearly home services is at the client's home. The biggest thing you need to keep in mind is as long as you don't have a crazy amount of like overhead and trucks and all that kind of stuff, then it makes life a little bit easier. Uh, but that'd be the biggest thing to think about is um. If the job site is elsewhere, not a storefront, that's, that's number one for this could be done in a remote local way.
1: Why would somebody, I'm I'm just kind of curious here, like for the people who are listening, you know, it's probably quite a few of them who are maybe haven't started a business yet, but are trying to plan and are trying to decide what to start. Right. And they may be listening to this and saying, Oh, I've never actually even thought about the opportunity of Buying a franchise, right? Like something Mm -hmm. like Made This, for example. Why would somebody do that? Like, what are the benefits of them buying into a franchise like Made This versus the the route that we hear a lot about online, which is to kind of start your own business from scratch?
0: So when I started, like, I didn't know what I didn't know what I was doing at all. Like those first couple years, I was working at a corporate job, was doing a side hustle. I was working in private equity, and like, you know, I would. I found out about like online courses and people doing cleaning companies that started, but you don't really get the nitty gritty details. So, you know, a cleaner said, Hey, I want to get paid. And I would go to the ATM on my lunch break, grab cash. They pull up in their car and hand them cash. And like everyone from my office building could see me. Right. So they just like, dude, you're a drug dealer. We could see you handing dudes cash in, the, in their car. So there's a million of these small things at the beginning. I didn't know how to do. And I felt like it slowed me down a lot. The benefit of a franchise system is most of these issues have been solved already, right? Your time collapsing what you're doing. So I already disclosed like, hey, how much revenue we're we doing. If I could have done that one year earlier, which knowing what I know now, I 100% could have done that one year earlier, how much more money could I have made? How many? How much less headache could I have made? So that time collapse and that speed of just getting higher revenue in dollars faster pays for the whole thing by itself, not to mention like a lot of the support system Franchisees typically trade for higher multiple because many things are systemized. Uh, plus there's a support system in the back end when you actually want to exit. So there's tons of benefits to it if you pick the right franchise system, right? Like you want to make sure there's a good support system in the back end. They know what they're doing, the numbers, numbers are aligned. But yeah, like to be honest, you, you go like I it's always still a battle in my head. We're early in the franchise realm. And that, sometimes I'm like, should I just be doing this as a um cohort offering or like a master class or something that a lot of people are offering right now? Um you know, just that sometimes seems easier to me. Like, Hey, let me just do this. Um, the franchise realm feels like it's a little bit higher stakes. Uh, but in some ways I feel like, uh, I don't know how it's, it feels a little bit more legit sometimes. Cause I have to disclose my financial numbers. I have to get audited. I'm not making stuff up. I'm not making earnings claims up. Like this is by the books legit. Here's a support system. I have to disclose where the money's going versus if you join courses on online systems, like, You can say whatever you want. You can make any earnings claims you want. You can say, hey, make seven figures a month, and that's not really true Buy my course, right? So I feel like there's a little bit more protections as well. Um, So those are the benefits I see of the franchise system. And obviously, there's cons as well, but that's what I've I've come to learn about the franchising world.
1: Yeah, it's also both from your side and somebody buying in, it's kind of like there's more skin in the game, right? Like anybody can buy, you know, like a thousand dollar course where you would teach them how to do this versus buying into a franchise is way more expensive, right? So not Mm -hmm. only do you as the person buying into it, you have way more skin in the game, which means like you're gonna do what, you know, you're being told to do because how many people have bought a course and never done anything, right? You go out there and you spend, you know, multiples of thousands of dollars to do something, you're in it, right? And then that helps you out as a business as well because like you don't have these people that are buying it and not doing anything. How many franchises do you have at this point out of curiosity?
0: Yeah, so we have two corporate locations, two franchise mm-hmm. locations. I've been franchising for a couple of years now. Uh, so the goal for this year is just to add a few more. Um, I just want to make sure the system's proven out, the product's perfect uh, mm-hmm. and then kind of hit the gas pedal from there. Uh, and by the way, one thing you said earlier is kind of a framework I feel like a lot of people should think about when it comes to pricing for stuff you're going to buy. And I'm sure a lot of listeners to the show are thinking, of, hey, how can I start my own business or side hustle or freelance gig in order to be remote and travel the world? Uh, and how much do I pay for that in terms of value? So think about it this way. Um, there's done for you, there's done with you, and then there's do-it-yourself. Those are three different price points, and you should be thinking about that as you evaluate different courses and things you're going to buy. If you're buying a course and you need to do everything, just a course, it's a do-it-yourself. In theory, that's going to be cheaper. As you elevate, there will be things which are done with you, where someone will do it with you, or literally done for you, which is going to be the highest price point. Franchising in general combines done for you and done with you versus a lot of courses combine do-it-yourself and maybe done with you, right? Right. That's why the price point's lower, but the value add is also a little bit different. So as you evaluate different things, you're looking at whether it's, Hey, you want to start your own digital marketing company and let me buy a course for that. That's kind of how you should be evaluating value and, and kind of what's given. So I just want to mention that since that's, it t- took me a while to learn that framework.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really great information. I'm, I don't know if you can disclose this, and if you can't, that's totally fine. But how much, like, what is the buy in to the Made This franchise? Like, if I was somebody who was like, I love this, I really like this idea, I wanna buy it, like, how much does that cost?
0: Yeah, so our buy in is 35000 Um, What that gets you is a couple months of one on one training uh, around the schedule. So typically it's like uh, eight weeks guided. So week one would be, hey, we're gonna go over this section of the ops manual. The ops manual is like 400 pages of every single system we've ever created. Um, meaning you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So let's say week one would be training um, plus a checklist of saying, hey, this week you're going to build your business model. You're going to file for an LLC and you're going to set your EIN number. Week two, week three, week four, and you go down the list until week eight is grand launch. Then after grand launch, you do the grand launch together and the franchisee does a bunch of stuff. Uh, building your website, building your online presence, building your collateral, you get the licensing, you get trademarks. Um, you know, We contribute to the grand launch marketing for you. Um, so 35,000 buy-in all in cost, including that amount is probably around 50. So most of the money after that, just pure marketing. It's a lean model after that. So, um, most of the money is just going to go just marketing to get cleaners as well as customers.
1: What is a good city to do this in, uh, (laughs) in terms of size, right? Like when somebody's listening to this, if, if they're in the middle of, you know, the United States somewhere in like, I don't know, Arkansas versus, Uh, you know, a city like, like Cincinnati, where I'm from in Ohio, like, what do you have any sort of guidance around that? Or, or do you not have any data to back that up yet?
0: So Mithka, you're from Cincinnati, you said, right? Originally? That's right. Cool. So I'll I'll run through an exercise with you if that's cool, just to Mm -hmm. show the power of recurring and kind of local services in general. So do you know the population of Cincinnati? I think Cincinnati proper is
1: half a million, but then in terms of all of the other, like, you know, we have like the different like neighborhoods, I think it's around 4 million.
0: Let's see if right. proper, 500,000 people proper. Usually that means like one third of that is households. So maybe you have like 150,000 households there. Um, so let's say that's the target market, 150,000 households in Cincinnati. So I'll talk about cleaning in this example. Um, I like the bottom up approach. you know people always say, "Hey, well, how big should a city be? like it's a little bit irrelevant because of this. Let's say a cleaning is one hundred and fifty bucks. Uh, let's say someone gets a cleaning twice a month. That means each property you're gonna get three hundred dollars for for that cleaning to reach a million dollars in revenue, you need eighty four thousand dollars per month in revenue, right? So all I'm gonna do is eighty four thousand dollars per month divided by three hundred. I need two hundred and eighty houses to reach a million dollars in revenue on a recurring basis. There's at least 150,000 households in Cincinnati, right? So you need a very small percent of the population to reach a lot of money with a recurring revenue business model, whether that's cleaning, whether that's mobile car washing, it doesn't matter if it's recurring, you could achieve that scale. Um, It just takes some time. So the size city is a little bit less relevant. Um, Even if it's a very small city, you need 280 houses. Uh, So I don't really look at the city size as much. What I would look at is maybe around labor laws, maybe around competition. You know, if you're trying to go in New York and you want to rank on SEO and there's 50 dudes on the first page of Google who have 500 reviews each, that's going to be tough to rank for SEO, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe New York's not going to be the hot market and the labor laws kind of suck there. So that's kind of what I would think about more, not just with made this, but I think any local services, any remote local services you want to try. Uh, the cool thing is if you pick a recurring revenue business model, you really don't need that many houses. You could achieve that in one neighborhood by itself.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And like, who is this right for? Like when you're thinking about the sort of person who you want to be buying into the made this franchise, mm-hmm. uh, who is that person? Where are they, you know, where are they in life? Like, are they, are they somebody who has a business experience background? Are they somebody who's like, Hey, I want to be a digital nomad in three years. Give me the blueprint. Like, like who is this? Yeah. right Yeah.
0: Yeah. To be honest, I'm trying to figure this out. And I feel like there's no exact blueprint of who that is. Um, Most people who get into franchising don't have any business experience to begin with. That's why they get into franchising. So I don't think business experience is necessary. Um, Our existing franchisees are people who have an existing corporate job and want to escape the rat race. I think that's the ideal candidate. If someone says, hey, I, I want a side hustle to buy my freedom I want to maybe hang on to what I'm currently doing. Maybe it's working remotely already. So, you know, they have that flexibility. You want to start something on the side with the goal to eventually transition, do this full time. Then you have the flexibility to work wherever you want. Um, ideally, that person like no, has some roots to some city that, you know, for example, Mitko, you're from Cincinnati. You probably have family members over there or like some connections. You know how the city's laid out. Some sort of connection like that's always extremely helpful. Um so it's usually someone who wants to escape the rat race um, and eventually be remote, and wants to follow a blueprint to do that um, through maybe a side hustle to begin with, and then transition full time.
1: And what sort of like um, tech background do you need to have to run this sort of business? And and I'm specifically thinking about made this here because, like, mm-hmm. for example, the reason why I asked this is. You know, sometimes I speak with people who are uh, a little bit older. You know, perhaps they're towards the end of their uh, career. They're in their like late forties, mid fifties, and they're like, "Hey, I really like this whole location dependent movement, but so many of these businesses and so much of this advice just kind of doesn't quite match my skill set, right? There aren't a there mm. aren't a digital native, right? So is this something that would be a better fit for that sort of person, where the the tech uh, necessity is a little bit lower or the tech uh, the the digital nativism. I'm making up words here. Uh, yeah. is maybe a little <laughs> bit
0: lower. So you're not coding or anything. It's not super tech heavy. You're not even setting up AdWords accounts. Like there's nothing like that. So I guess in comparison to many other types of businesses, it's less tech heavy. But you are mm-hmm. using different software systems. You're using Slack. You're using G Suite. You're going to be using like other third party software systems to set up like Airbnb's and like manage stuff. So if you're comfortable with third party software systems and navigating it, it's for you. If you need help in like, hey, I really, I'm really, i not really good at navigating third-party software systems, probably not going to be the best fit because we do use a lot of different systems just to make it seamless for the customer. So mm. yeah, I think people need to be some level of tech savvy, but it's not much. You're not coding. You know, this is not proprietary software. Um, it's made to be easy. But like, for example, my parents probably would not be good fits for this, right? They're in the 60s and 70s, not going to be a good fits for running this by themselves.
1: Gotcha. And out of curiosity, and I know we're getting into the really nitty gritty stuff here, but now I'm, mm-hmm. you know, you That's know, me, questions. I'm like already like, you know, like thinking and I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. Like, what about this? What about that? Yeah. What about like, can you take out a loan against this? Because maybe there's somebody and a lot of our audience, they're, they're younger. Uh, maybe they're, you know, in their mid twenties, early thirties, maybe they don't have the amount of capital saved up in order to buy into the franchise or or even have the money set aside for the other costs. Is this something you can take out a loan for to start with?
0: So that is one benefit of franchising because it's regulated. Um, I made this as approved by the SBA. You could get an SBA loan for a startup franchise. You can't normally do that for like if you're buying a course or like you can't do that for a normal business unless you're buying an existing business. But for franchising, you're allowed to get an SBA loan for, so we're approved by them as well. Um, so yeah, you could definitely do loans. Um, even with franchising, you're allowed to take um, a loan against your 401k. So pull out money from your 401k, pay for this, and then just pay back your 401k with a profit. So franchising allows you the governmental benefits in the U.S. to do a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, I would say like, hey, it's like however you could fund, whether this or something else. I, I, in the grand scheme of things, I know... Um, maybe if you're just getting started off 35,000 sounds like a lot, but the reality is like when you actually get into the business, it's not a lot. Um, yeah. so yeah, if you don't have that up front, there's many ways you can get loans, but you know, it's not, it. it's, it, many people won't even loan you $35,000 cause it's a pretty low amount, I, I guess. So there's creative ways to do it. Um, but yeah, that's the benefit of franchising.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because like growing up and like when I got, like when I got started in the business world, it was so like anti-loan, you know, it was either, you're either bootstrapping and it's every profit, like every dollar of profit is awesome. That's what you're going for. Or you're going to go out there and do the, like the startup funded route. And there was this idea Mm -hmm. of like the, the business load was so avoided. But now that I speak more and more with entrepreneurs who are Older who started their businesses at other times, they're like, Man, you take out a loan, and then if it doesn't work out, you declare bankruptcy. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, and you don't even have to shut down the business in some cases, right? Like it's like yeah. you you it's you, crazy. You do that. I'm, I'm not I'm not advertising that you do this, but I remember growing <laughs> up, this taking out this loan was such a scary thing, and then you go talk to like business owners in their 50s, and they're like, Like, just why? Like, you know, what I mean? you just go out there and like get
0: a loan. I, I probably grew up the same as you where like I was pretty dead averse. Right, maybe because like yeah. the way my parents were growing up, like immigrants, you don't want to take on a crazy amount of debt. You just you know want to sustain yourself. So I was always extremely debt averse, and kind of what I realized growing up, a lot of the very wealthy people I've met utilize debt to their advantage. Right, they just know how to play the game. They know they don't operate from a place of fear with debt. And it took me a while to learn that because I just I did, I grew up in a very debt averse environment. So it's kind of just still innate in me.
1: Well, and it's interesting because. There is a difference between taking on debt to buy liabilities versus taking on debt to buy assets, right? And Mm. that's such an easy shift that, for whatever reason, took me a very long time to understand. Like if you're taking on debt to buy a car, which is going to depreciate in value – like, sure, you may have to do that. Like, we all need a mode of transportation, but that's not a, it's not the best use of debt. But if you're taking on debt in order to buy an asset that can then, you know, appreciate in value or even spit out cash for you,
0: mm-hmm. that's a
1: whole different, com- it's almost like a whole different debt conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And like, I, we just lumped that into like debt equals bad. But thinking about it right. that way is super clear. Assets, or liabilities? what are you buying? So, I right, yeah. I like that.
1: No one like mentions all or says anything to all this debt being just written to 18 year olds who are going to college who have no idea how they're gonna pay (laughs) their debt off, right? So there's like debt and then there's debt. So uh I it's just something that I've been thinking about the last like year and a half, just like in learning more about that stuff. But I wanna uh kind of take a little turn here and and take a devil's advocate part of this conversation because we're talking about how great this business model is but what are some of the you know if you were to play a devil's advocate uh, and i know this is a tough position because you're the founder here you you want to sell people on it but i do think it's good to be educated on this as well It's like what are some of the pain points of this sort of business model
0: yeah uh i do i love the question by the way And like part of our diligence process it's usually like one to three months before i'll even award someone a franchise because i'm trying to disqualify them at every stage Like, dude, here's all the bad stuff. Here's what you got to know because once they're in the system, I I, like it's on me to make sure they're successful, right? So, like, I'm doing a heavy disqualification. Mm -hmm. So, I love the devil's advocate question. Um, Biggest thing to think about if uh, would be that you're managing people, Um, you're dealing with human labor, and a lot of that is going to be blue collar labor. Um, Different type of person, different type of mentality. People are going to call out. People are not going to act rationally. It's just the name of the game. And that's what you're always going to deal with, no matter what size you're at. Eventually you get to a size where you have managers who deal with that, but it's still kind of part of the business, right? And you have systems and controls in place to hopefully limit that. But humans are humans. The errors are going to happen. People have emotions. Things are going to happen. And what you're selling is um, human labor. Um, And it's a little bit different than if you're selling, let's say, an e-commerce product or a physical product where the production is set, all you need to do is market and that's done. So that would be the hard part about it. The one single hardest part about it is just that you're dealing with people.
1: How many on average, um, if you wanted to get to like a million dollars in revenue, uh, Mm -hmm. A, what are you looking at in terms of margins there? Like if you're doing a million dollars in revenue, what can you look like, like what can you expect to take home as the operator? And the second part of that question is, Uh, how much staff on average does it take to get to that million dollars in revenue? I know this is a very uh, number heavy question, so it's okay if you don't have the specifics, but uh, just out of curiosity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So um, let's talk about margins real quick. Margins for cleaning industry, residential cleaning industry overall, usually between 15 to 30% net margin is where you're looking at. Uh, Depends on the model, depends on your overhead, depends on the size Right when you're smaller, the margin is going to be less because you're probably pumping a lot more into marketing. As you scale up, you don't need as much marketing because your SEO is kicked in. Blah blah blah. Less less money, more margin. So that's that's how you think about margins. In terms of how many cleaners you need, um, I always like a bottom down approach. Again, uh, you know, I, you have one cleaner could probably do two to three cleanings per day. Uh, each cleaning on average is 150 bucks. One cleaner is going to get you 300 to 450 bucks per day, five days a week. That's you know maybe two thousand dollars per cleaner in revenue. Um, times four, let's say that's $8,000, let's say six dollars to $8,000 in potential revenue per cleaner per day or per per month, right? So you need, let's say that's 8000 and we need $84,000 in monthly sales to reach a million dollars in revenue. Some cleaners are part-time, some are full-time. I'm thinking probably anywhere between eight to 15 cleaners is what you need in order to reach a million dollars in revenue.
1: I'm so glad you did that math because I was standing here and I was like, I hope he doesn't ask me like, what is that? Because I would completely completely fumble. If people were watching like a video version of this, you could probably see it in my eyes of like, Neil, do not turn this question around.
0: (laughs) You're lucky because like at least part of the um, we do a budget every year and I make the franchisees do a budget, which literally has like on the Excel sheet. Here's how many cleaners you have. Here's the amount of revenue. That's going to be how much revenue you're going to have for the year. So, like, luckily, it's very fresh in my head because I just did it. So, all good.
1: Do you get better? This is, like, a weird tangent. But do you get better with using certain numbers for math? Because, like, one of the things that I've noticed is if these are the numbers that you're kind of, like, you know, 150 bucks per cleaning, you kind of get better at multiplying that and adding that. Because I've noticed living in different countries where you have to do the math of, like, For example, here in Mexico, it's like a dollar is about 20 pesos, right? So you kind of with practice get better at these like multiplications of 20s and fives and like whatnot. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: I know exactly. Especially when you go to, I hate when you go to countries and it's like exchange rate $17. I'm like, no, like this is too confusing. We're going to, we're going to round it up to 20 and I'm just going to do math based off of that. So for sure, it's funny how quickly uh, your brain adapts to that as well. Um, yeah. What was the one I, that I
1: just heard was like Vietnam has one where it's like some weird decimal. So it's not even like Mexico's easy. It's relatively 20 to one. But like if it's some like odd decimal and you need to do these like crazy, you know, like, I don't know. I like was watching somebody do it and I was like, oh man, no way.
0: <laughs> dude, I'm thinking about the Zimbabwe where the, I don't know if you've seen it, the bills are $1 yeah, billion yeah. bills. I'm like, how, how are you going to convert this? Like, let's see how you do this.
1: Yeah, for so. sure. Um I'm curious in terms of you know you're talking about margin and it being uh, you know the the people being sort of like the devil's advocate, right? Those are sort of like the, the, that that mm-hmm. would be the pain point. One of the things that I thought was genius when we talked last time, all the way you know in episode 10 3 years ago was that your support staff is remote right so that's one of the ways that you're able to keep costs slow and compete mm-hmm. with with other people who are offering the same service does a franchisee actually get to use your support staff or do they need to build their own support staff structure
0: yep so we teach them how to find the support staff how to onboard them and there's training materials for that support staff to get properly onboarded uh, but they need to find them themselves and you know, I think people often think it's hard to find them. It's not really hard to find them. I think you and I both know where to find the support staff. You got to Dynamite Jobs, you got to Upwork, you just have to put up a specific job ad to filter the right people. Um, so the the franchisees, we want them to have their own because that person is going to be dealing with the cleaners as well as the customers. So it needs to be much more mm. localized, right? So we don't we don't have a central support staff for that.
1: I see. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, like, why don't you just you know, like loan out your support staff and charge like a monthly fee to your uh, franchisees. But I understand what you mean. Like, you know, then that would kind of be like dealing with like Uber support or something. It wouldn't be as... Yeah,
0: which I think eventually we might offer some sort of like call center solution. And the call center would be like, hey, Use us until you don't need us until you could like afford to hire your own person full time. That'd be the transition, like just get them over the hump. so I think eventually yeah. we'll probably do something like that just to help out the franchise system and by the way, that's one benefit of like I have found out the franchise system is if if it's a good franchise or they should be putting these systems into place to ensure your success um, because it literally reflects back on them right it's the incentive right. should be aligned there so um, yeah, that's something I, I think you eventually want to do, but probably only once we reach scale and it's actually in demand.
1: And what are the laws around, like if you buy into the franchise and then you say like, for example, I buy it to set up a shop in Cincinnati, but then I want to go to mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Do I need to like repurchase a license for that new like city or do you just get to like, hey, I'm, I'm moving over there? How does that work?
0: Yeah, most um, franchises always give you a protected territory. Um, so if you want to mm-hmm. buy another protected territory, you simply you buy it for a discount, um, and then you can expand over there. But if you want to, I don't know how to deal with it. If someone wants a full-on get up and move shop to somewhere else, there's no like. Well, I meant some to like open-
1: add on one.
0: Ah, yeah, yeah. You simply buy another territory. So a lot franchise. of most, I do not say most, but a lot of franchisors franchisors uh, only sell multi packs of territory. You can't even buy a single pack. Uh, any of those haircut franchise, supercuts, all of them, you have to buy a three pack. Um, A lot of fast food joints, you have to buy multiple packs. So yeah, a lot of them, a lot of franchisors, you have to buy multiple cities.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Like, I don't have a lot of experience with franchises. Obviously, this is why I'm asking all of these questions Mm -hmm. that you're probably like, why are you even asking me this? These are so specific, (laughs) but I'm just curious. But I remember I was sitting, I don't know where I saw this, but it was a magazine for franchises, like where you can advertise your franchise to like get people to buy into it. And I was like, this is so cool and it's so nerdy that i think it's cool but i had no idea that was like uh you know
0: <laughs> it's so, a sign uh, of like an entrepreneur that. where you get like squirrel vision You're like all right i'm gonna buy this franchise and this franchise and this franchise like i still do that yeah, too yeah. and i'm like wait i i have a franchise but i want to do all of this stuff still <laughs>
1: It's like you're sitting, you're sitting in the dentist of the waiting room and like everyone's like looking at like car or like people magazine, you're flipping franchise magazines. <laughs> Cleaning franchise and like, six. What a yeah. weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a weirdo. Uh, tell me a little bit about building a personal brand because I know that's something that you've been, uh, you know, spending more and more time on here recently. Why did you decide to to hmm. do that? Like, what is your end goal with that? And what have you found helpful in doing that?
0: Uh, I think both of us are kind of building on Twitter, right? I mean, the guys are posting a lot more mm-hmm. as well for me. Like, so here's the story. I was, um, I started, made this franchise and, uh, I follow this guy. His name is Rose, who owns a uh, fit body bootcamp franchise. They have like 800 locations and he always posts content and like, you know, I get his emails and I look listen to his podcasts and uh, his newsletters. And I'm like, wow, this guy's like awesome. Like I'm really vibing with this content. Because I liked him so much, I ended up going to the Fit Body Bootcamp website, signing up to like learn about franchising, got on an intro call with a franchise person. And look, I have no business owning like a fitness gym franchise. I'm like a skinny Indian dude. I already have my own franchise. But I was going in the process and I was like, wait a second, like, what am I doing? But then I realized, hey, because I knew that guy so well from his content and I vibed with it, whatever he's selling, I want to buy. And that was like such a powerful lesson to me when I realized the the, the power of personal branding of people are buying from people, right? That's what they want. And especially the higher ticket item you go, they are buying from people. They're not buying from the brand for the most part. So if people right now want to buy Made This, they're probably buying it because of the content I'm writing or they like my personal brand and yeah. they know I'm the founder and that's why they're buying it. That's what they're vibing with. So I realized in order for franchising... Um, I need to get into more personal brand building. And I think people are going to be buying this because of me, at least at the beginning, uh, as opposed to the actual franchise only. Um, so because of that, I dove into more personal brand building. And like I've been posting a ton on Twitter because I found that was a really good way to have things go viral and build an audience. And I think like so many other things have come from that. Like It's, it's a little bit less about just building leads for franchising, but more about like, wow, there's so much networking and opportunities which come to you if you put yourself out there more. And uh, Mithika, I'm, I'm curious what you've seen. I know you've just started doing it a little bit, but have you, and with the podcast, I mean, have you found a lot of more opportunities are come into you? Or what are your thoughts on personal brand building?
1: Yeah. So first of all, you mentioned you're a skinny Indian kid. And it's funny because we've talked online before multiple times, but then I met you in Mexico and I'm like, dude, you're tall. Like I wasn't expecting you to be so tall. (laughs) It's funny. Like when you meet people in real life and I was like, Oh shit, you're like a really tall dude. So so, yeah, just, just so that people get the right, uh, there there we go. The right imagery. But, uh, yeah, in terms of personal branding, it's interesting because it's something that I've been doing for a long time without knowing that I've been doing it or really understanding that I'm doing that. If that makes sense, right? Like posting mm-hmm. on Instagram and having the the podcast. Like I never really thought of it as like personal branding in the way that I think of it now. Um, I think it's become far more like I used to think that in order for you to be a personal brand, you need to have like 100,000 followers or a million Mm -hmm. followers. And now what I'm realizing is there's this whole idea of like micro personal brands that I think are going to become even more important in industries, right? Where you're like Mm -hmm. really well known in this specific industry and you might have online like a following of like 1,000, 2,000 people. But if those are the right 1,000 or 2,000 people, you could like rake and bank, right? You could be very mm. well-known in industry. You could be speaking, you could have lots of business coming to you. So for me, it's certainly become, um, it's been positioning. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Naval talk about the four types of luck. You ever heard this before? Mm. I've not heard that. So essentially, there's this like idea of the four different types of luck. And I think it originally comes from uh, an, an article, which is based on like an old book. But essentially, you have like blind luck, right? Like you're like born rich. The second type of luck is like, hu- like luck from hustle, where you're just kind of like stirring up enough stuff that eventually the odds are you're going to get lucky, right? You take enough swings at hmm. bat, eventually you might hit the ball. Then the third type of luck is positioning luck where you're in a certain industry long enough and you're working in it long enough that you kind of start to see some trends. You might put yourself in a good spot to like profit from it. So I always use the example of like crypto. Like if you were a developer for many years and you saw crypto coming up, you could put yourself in position to win from that before. Mm-hmm. It blew up, right. And then the fourth type of luck is where luck comes to you where you become really, really skilled or what Seth Godin calls a linchpin Mm -hmm. and like almost deals have to be done through you, right? Like people like bring their opportunities to you. And so I think that's where a personal brand becomes really important because like it's, Essentially, like if I'm trying to brand myself as like the expert on remote work, and somebody runs into some sort of an issue, or or they even have some sort of opportunity or investment opportunity, they might come and bring it to me because they need my expertise in order to make that thing happen. Yep. So that's where I think personal branding can be really important, even if you're not trying to have like a, a million followers or something like that.
0: I do. I love that breakdown. I've never heard. That breakdown of the four lux, but it makes so much sense, and it, it also categorizes where like, I feel like there's like even though let's say you go to a bar and you're hitting on a girl, and you you have a friend who's like constantly going to every single group and hitting on every single person. That person somehow gets lucky just because he's taking enough swings at it, versus someone else who right. might be at the bar positioned well. Uh, it it just kind of puts into categories of like, okay, there's multiple ways to go about generating opportunity, generating luck. It just depends on which strategy you can and want to go with. So yeah, I I love that.
1: Yeah. And like the way that I like to talk about it is like, try to avoid, not avoid the first two types of luck, but don't focus on them while like, in my opinion, the third and fourth type of luck, right? Like luck from positioning and like when luck comes to you, like that's just good business. That's just good Mm. branding. Do you know what I mean? And and you need to be good at what you do. And, you know, we always hear like, don't rely on luck, like make your own luck. But by you doing a good job and creating a personal brand and all these sort of things, like that is just being good business, right? Like referrals or, or uh, you know, any sort of opportunity like that. So I know that we're sort of running out of time here, but I wanted to ask you very quickly in wrapping up, you, you talked about having private equity as your background. And that's mm-hmm. something that I don't have, right? Like I'm a college dropout. So, uh, and out of college, uh, I went straight into like working with, with businesses and all this kind of stuff. So I don't mm-hmm. have this like background. So I'm always curious, like, what do you have? What did you walk away with from that background that you think that other people don't that has helped you in your journey?
0: You know, it's, um, it's interesting because I I know a lot of people who never took a traditional corporate route. uh, And sometimes they say, oh, like I never got the proper training from corporate, uh, which maybe could have helped me out. Uh, My take is this. I don't think private equity helped me out much. The only thing it helped me out is with a little bit of like clout by saying you worked in private equity. That's kind of like there's some stuff I'm sure I developed some skills of like I had to do a lot of cold calling and now I'm not afraid of cold calling you could pick that up mm-hmm. in sales on private equity. I looked at some deals. So I kind of loosely understand how deals are structured. Um, I had to like redline legal contracts. Now I'm, I could kind of do that myself and save some money, but it's not like something transformative. Where like, Oh, you worked in VC. Like you were so much smarter. That's not how it is. And I feel like a lot of times um, people will look at the VC or private equity world and think, Oh, those guys are sharp. They're like working in VC or private equity. Not really. Like it, most of these guys don't know how to operate businesses. They're just Excel dudes. Um, that's what they are. They get paid very, very well for that. So, I'd actually say you, if, even if you don't work in the corporate world, uh, and you think that's something you're missing out on in terms of skill set, not really. I, I, I actually, I truly don't think it helps you out more. Um, I, I liked, I truly loved where I worked, just because the people were really cool and they helped me out a lot. They let me work on deals. So I got a little bit more exposure than maybe someone normally would at my age. Uh, but it, as it relates to starting up a franchise or local business or scaling. No, not really. Maybe just exposure to stuff, but in terms of skill sets, uh, you're you're probably on par with skill set wise most private equity dudes. It just there's not that much of a gap.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of the interesting things that I've seen is people who've worked in in that business world or even like funded startups and I'm kind of throwing this out there for anyone who's listening who kind of relates with what I said the big thing i've noticed is usually they have a different viewpoint in terms of like numbers and prices like if you're getting started from like i took an online course and now i'm building a service usually you're starting at a very low price while like when you talk with people who have been in like big business they're like no 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 we're charging thousands of dollars as to opposed to somebody who might like kind of bottom of the barrel price in the beginning of that makes yeah. sense
0: I'd probably relate it more to exposure to how things actually can work when you're dealing with a lot of money as opposed to skill set. So, for example, like um, if you go to really – there's the whole topic of whether you should go to college or not. But like here's one thing I will say about college. If you go to college and let's say Harvard, you're simply exposed to the way people think and how they act. It's less about the knowledge. It's more about like, oh, this is normal because everyone else here is You know, raising a bunch of money, it becomes normalized to you and you operate that way. That's kind of how it would be in private equity is, or I guess any any finances, that becomes normalized what you're seeing. Therefore, that's your world. That's what you know. You don't know anything less. That would be the benefit. It'd be probably exposure versus any true skill set.
1: Yeah. And also network. Like I'm a very big believer as a college dropout of like, you don't need school. Like you'd probably be better off if you just jumped in and started working at a startup and got your hands dirty right away, or just try to do your own thing. But Mm. if you have the opportunity to go to like Harvard or I don't know, like whatever the other top schools are, Wharton, blah, 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 whatever. And it's like paid for, then just like you could flunk out of it. But if you could like Know everyone and you have that network that in its own, like, could be worth it. Like, we said, like, there's debt, and then there's debt, there's like, there's college, then there's like, you know, top of the line uh, schools. But, Neil, uh, I want to be respectful of your time, man. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, almost an hour flew by super, super quick. Let yeah. people know if they're interested in following you. Obviously, you're talking a lot about this stuff on Twitter. It's been super fun to follow you. You're posting some really interesting things. Where can they find you? And then, if anyone's listening to this, that is maybe interested in taking part in a made this franchise. Where right? can they learn more about that?
0: Yeah. So um Twitter, uh, my handle is Neil B. Parak. Uh, maybe it'll be in the show notes. Meet to go, so I'll throw it in there. I actually have yeah. a podcast called the Remote Local Podcast, where we talk about how to run a local business completely remote. So just be remote local.com. Uh you could also go to made this franchise, M-A-I-D-T-H-I-S-Franchise.com. Hit me up on there. And by the way, just say mention you're coming from Meathco's show. And like even if you're not interested in franchising, but you want to talk about something else, I'm happy to help guide and provide whatever I can. So feel free to hit me up, even if it's not about franchising. You just just want to chat. So all good.
1: Oh man, do you have like an affiliate link for a franchise? That would be insane affiliates yeah. right there. <laughs> 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 Anyways man thank you so much for thank you so much for coming on dude this has been a ton of fun
0: thanks so much me to go take care man